Hey mama, I'm Ashley, and this is the Maverick Mompreneur Podcast, where you're free and encouraged to own your desire to create and scale an impactful, discoverable online brand and business in the midst of motherhood. A business that's aligned with your mission, lifestyle desires, personality, and zone of genius without wasting your time on the hustle and grind hamster wheel that is social media. Can I get an amen? Sis, you are a maverick, an original, willing to stand out in your authenticity, defy expectations, and do life and business outside the box. In our world, if it's not aligned with who we are, it's a hard pass or a brave pivot. So if you're here for the powerful identity shift and transformation from boss babe or boss mom to aligned CEO, building a one-of-a-kind, influential, hustle-free online business that will produce long-term impact and multiple streams of income through SEO, affiliate marketing, and courses while building yourself in the process, well, pop in those AirPods, grab that cup of coffee or glass of wine, and let's get growing. Before we get fully into the content of this episode, which I'm frankly a little bit nervous about, but that's okay, I wanted to remind you that Social Seller to CEO Academy 3.0 is going to be closing for enrollment until at least the summer on Friday the 24th. So if you're listening to this before then, head to socialsellertoceoacademy.com to snag your spot and or learn more about the program and then snag your spot if you want to create multiple streams of revenue, including social selling if you have that as a stream of revenue that you would like to continue on with, but you would not like to continue on with participating in the sometimes toxic productivity, which we'll be talking about today, that goes along with social selling. In Social Seller to CEO Academy, the first part of the program, we are setting up systems for automation. So your email marketing, your website so that people can find you via search engine optimization so that you have evergreen marketing running for you 24 seven, whether you're selling affiliate products, social selling products, or your own offers bonus. You also get email templates for leads that you're capturing through your systems for product. You're also getting email templates for follow-up sequences for customers. And then the really cool part that I'm so excited about is the second half of the program. I am going to be teaching you how to create and launch your very own offer or offers for your brand. You can take this process and create whatever offers that your heart desires that you know will benefit your audience. And you're going to have an additional stream of revenue that you can grow and scale and really take control of the impact and income that you're making online alongside whatever it is that you're already doing. So if you can't tell, I'm really pumped. This is my baby, my second baby. My first baby is obviously Taylor, but I love this program. I love teaching this program. It changed my entire life and I want to pay it forward. So socialsellertoceoacademy.com to learn more and snag your spot. If you're listening to this afterwards, that page, you can also hop on the wait list so that you can be notified first when we are going to be reopening for enrollment and then also get access to waitlist exclusive bonuses. Sound good? Okay, let's go. Hello, my friends. Ashley here. Episode 70 of the Maverick Mompreneur podcast coming at you live from my bedroom. I'm not in a closet. I wonder if you can tell the difference in acoustics. I wonder if it's actually even better because there's more on the walls here than there are in the closet in my office. I moved my podcast stand or command station desk, whatever you want to call it, into my room because one of my besties is 
moving from Canada here to the U.S. with her family. And so she's going to stay with Taylor and I for a little bit while she looks for a place for them to rent before they buy and all of that. And so I'm looking forward to having her here, but I wanted her to have her own room. So all that to say, it's kind of fun chatting with you from my bedroom. I hope you've had a good weekend. I'm recording this on a Sunday evening, which is new for me. It just kind of worked out that way with my schedule. I've had so many different things that I want to talk to you about, but one thing that I keep coming back to is this concept that we're going to talk about today. And I want to tread very lightly and give the disclaimer that this is definitely my opinion and experience, but it's also just food for thought. I don't want to use influence because we're going to talk about the ethical and unethical use of influence. I don't want to use influence to put thoughts in your mind. So I'm really going to try to do my best to share this information that I have been thinking about and researching and wondering about and contemplating and making decisions based on, I'm going to just present it to you and I want you to form your own thoughts of the. Anytime I bring this up within either my private Facebook group or with clients, it's a huge topic of conversation and it's not one that I hear spoken on very often. But as soon as you speak to someone who is either in or has been in the industry of social selling for any length of time and or the coaching industry, most people have either ahas or a lot to say about it. So if you're listening to what I'm saying and you think, oh my gosh, there's a lot of people who have these thoughts as well. It's not just you, if it resonates. So what is this topic that I'm treading lightly around? I'm glad you asked, obviously I'm going to tell you. And it's the fine line when culture can cross over into a little bit of cultishness in social selling, in the coaching industry, because I would argue that in both of those, there is a pyramid-esque structure. No, I did not say pyramid scheme. We'll get into that later. But both of those have a similar structure. And that structure really lends itself to some of these cultish tactics or cultish-like behaviors from people who, by personality, take advantage of these types of situations or, by accident, end up having the same effect. But what I see over and over again are women and men, but in social selling and in coaching, it's predominantly women. People end up having these negative experiences. And I don't think always make the correlation between what's actually happening and that effect. And a lot of times they place blame on themselves and their abilities. And I don't like that. And so I feel like just speaking on some things that I notice, maybe I can do my part to open up a discussion. And I think all of us have been involved, whether or not you would label it this way, but all of us have been involved in some sort of either relationship or job or organization, group, church, etc., where there have been elements of control, overt or covert, and cultishness. And it's not always bad. Part of having Having a well-running company is having culture. Having a well-run team is having culture, but there is a line when that can cross over into the culty realm. So I'm going to share with you some of what I've been obsessed with, which is learning about cults and cult dynamics. But I've always been interested in, I guess, interpersonal
interpersonal dynamics, language, and all of these things. And somehow, well, I know how, but I'm not really going to speak on that. Somehow I got very, very interested in the techniques used by people and or organizations to manipulate and how it can be disguised and all of these different things. And then along the way, having the recognition that sometimes these things can happen inadvertently and it's not nefarious. It's not someone trying to do something. I've even as a leader in social selling before I stopped building and leading teams and this being in large part and not something I've shared before as a rationale, but I am going to now. I myself have looked back and noticed things that I would never do now or could never do now because the cognitive dissonance is dispelled and cognitive dissonance being that uncomfortable feeling that we get when there's two opposing pieces of information or two opposing thoughts or feelings and we have this uncomfortable feeling that's cognitive dissonance. Well, once for me, no one's perfect, but I do pride myself in being an ethical person, an ethical business owner, ethical with my business practices. Once you see certain things, you can't unsee them. And there's this question that I remember reading and I don't know the origin of it, but the question is, what am I pretending that I don't know that I actually know. And that to me really sums up that feeling of cognitive dissonance when you're right on the cusp and you're like, oh, but if I really look at that, it's gonna bust open a can of worms, it's gonna bust me wide open. And sometimes we push those things just under the rug and pretend that we don't know things that we actually know. And this happens in all types of unhealthy, controlling relationships, whether that's one-on-one or in a group. It happens in so many different situations but asking yourself that question and really looking can be really hard. Now, if there's not an area of life, love, business, whatever, and you don't have cognitive dissonance, then that's a great feeling. You're in alignment. You don't have that element, but boy, if there's something there, you can't unsee it. The other thing I wanted to share with you, just because you're probably like, well, what a weirdo. Like, why is she researching cults? It's not exactly directly cults that led me to all of these uh, wonders, let's just say, these wonders and these thoughts that I have. Not judgments, not necessarily even conclusions, just things that I am thinking through. This is a think with me episode. Not necessarily a grow with me episode, but a think with me episode. I have had a desire to research opposite opinions of things I'm involved in because of my experience of cognitive dissonance, because of my rebuilding trust with myself and my own brain. I've really gotten into researching and consuming intentionally content of the polar opposite opinion of anything that I'm involved in, and then being able to form my own intuitive conclusions about what feels right and therefore how I need to move. Do I need to move? Am I okay with this? And really basing the decisions for my life and the decisions about what I'm involved in on multiple perspectives, not just what I've been fed, not just what I've been born into, not just what I married into, whatever it might be. That's really important to me. So I want to say that from the outset, when it comes to social selling, I really dove into like anti MLM content because this started out as, you know, okay, well, what do, what are these opposing opinions? Because I know that there's always two sides to every coin and it's hard to form your own opinion and really be able to trust that if you don't know what the other side is saying. And I don't know if that resonates with anyone else, but 
that has been my experience in life. I know that I know that I know that I can feel comfortable in what I do with my life and what I say and how I act and who I am if I have all perspectives and I don't feel that I have been influenced by anything other than my internal compass that was given to me for a reason. Y'all feel me? And that's in relationships, in business partnerships, brand collaborations, you name it. That just feels like what I need to do. And I also want to say uh, before we get into some of the cult definitions and parallels, lightweight parallels, hardcore parallels, depending on your experience, depending on your perspective, not every company or team is even borderline cultish. Like that's just not the case. And I'm not even speaking from my own experience having been in a social selling company I did not ever experience a CEO or an upline that was a malignant, charismatic narcissist. I didn't have that personal experience, but some of them are. Some companies are. Some teams are cultish. Some CEOs, some uplines are narcissistic. They're charismatic guru type people. Some are, and I haven't directly experienced that, but I see it all the time. And I've spoken to so many women for whom that is the case. You can look on the internet. There's plenty of blogs and podcasts and TikToks where people are sharing their authentic experiences and those cannot be discounted. There are crappy people with narcissistic, unethical, selfish motivations behind what they do, whether that be their marketing, whether that be their leadership, whether that be the business model that they choose to stay in despite cognitive dissonance or even knowing what's going on, but that's not everyone. And some of these things, again, I'm preaching to the choir, some of these things having been an upline and a leader, a top 2% in my company leader at one time, sometimes people do these behaviors and these things and they're not meaning for it to be nefarious, but again, the effect is the same. And so what I feel like I need to do is share those things. And that way, if I have listeners have been affected, number one, their confidence in their ability, or they've lost friendships in that industry, or they're feeling disillusioned, I want you to feel not alone. And I also want you to understand some of what is going on either inadvertently or what's the opposite of inadvertently? Advertently? That's not right. I'll Google it later. So just some things to think about uh, whether or not certain things or organizations or teams or business models are healthy for you and what you want to have as your end-all be-all or if pivots and adjustments could be made. And that's what I decided for myself. And that is why I am so passionate about teaching women how to create multiple streams of revenue via their brand. Now, if social selling, selling affiliate products is part of that and that feels aligned, great. But that's not the only way to make money online, especially in today's age when you should be focusing on building your influence, building a personal brand. And there are a diverse array of ways for you to monetize. And in my experience, the quickest way to start making actual influence, impact, and income is by having your own offers and sharing them with the audience that you already have or that you are building. Let's talk about some definitions from the cult world. So first of all, what is the definition of cult? Without context, words have no meaning. So cult, in the context that we usually look at it, it's like really negative, right? We think of, oh, cults, like all these, you know, rituals and sacrifices and 
and craziness going on, but it's often not always like that when you actually see a cult. Sometimes from an outset, they can look like really good things or even start as really good things, but sometimes they can go to the dark side. So the definition of a cult is great devotion to a person, idea, object, movement, or work. And work being like a book or a movie or something like that. So great devotion to a person, idea, object, movement, work, <clears throat> or company, <clears throat> or product line. What? So there's that. Love bombing. Love bombing, the definition is the action or practice of lavishing someone with attention or affection, especially in order to influence or manipulate them. Cults often use tactics like love bombing to lure new members. And so I just want you to think about what are some of the ways in which you have seen or experienced love bombing in either the coaching industry or the social selling industry. One of the ways that I remember being a part of my organization, and I, I learn this from other leaders and that I never saw anything wrong with it. And there isn't necessarily something wrong with it out of context, out of the whole context. And the motivation is not nefarious, but welcoming in a new member of a team or even luring sounds nefarious, but attracting in new members. Oftentimes they're complimented. They're welcomed with open arms and yay, welcome to the team and all kinds of rah, rah fanfare, but that's not sustainable. And so I'm not saying don't do that when you have a new team member, but a lot of times if what we know is true, and I think this is still an accurate fact, 90% of people who are joining social selling organizations are really looking for something outside of just making money. They want to make maybe 500 bucks, maybe no money, but they're looking for a community, a place to belong. And so when they're love bombed, they think they're going to get this thing that they're seeking. But if that is not going to be sustained, then it's emotionally negative, manipulative. I don't know how to say it. And this is one of those things that to me got really uncomfortable. I'm like, well, we're not all best friends. Yes, we're like-minded. Yes, we want to attract like-minded team members. But I know for me, I'm a businesswoman. I am not going to have a team of hundreds of women and be best friends and continue that level or anywhere near close to that level. And that can be disappointing. And I'm just speaking the truth. I'm saying it like it is. I felt, I don't know if it's insincere, not in the moment, but in context, it started to feel like, oh my gosh, I'm going to, you know, we're going to love bomb this person. And then what if their expectation is that? And it can feel that way to some people. And you're not responsible for someone else's feelings necessarily, but kind of as a leader, you are. And that's one of those things, you know, what am I pretending that I don't know or realize that I actually know? This next one, oh boy, thought terminating cliches. I'm gonna give you the definition. Thought terminating cliches in any way, shape and form are really, really problematic. It's a form of loaded language and it's intended to end an argument or get rid of or lessen that cognitive dissonance that we feel, that questioning part of our minds that comes up when we have that discomfort, when we feel in the middle of two pieces of information that are contradictory or two opinions that are contradictory or two thoughts that are, they don't match up but we're right in the middle. So these thought terminating cliches are to stop that from proceeding any further and a debate with this statement rather than an actual point that makes sense and or is factually true. Okay, so we got the definition that's thought 
terminating cliches. So the biggest one that I heard all the time and continue to hear is I'm not involved in a pyramid scheme because those are illegal. You're taught from the beginning that people are going to say that you're in a pyramid scheme. <clears throat> Cults do the same thing. People are going to say that you're in a cult. This is what you say. This is how you overcome that objection, if you will. So I'm not involved in a pyramid scheme because those are illegal. Just because something like the technical definition of a pyramid scheme that's illegal, might there still be something inherently off with what you're involved with though? That's just a question to think about. So that stops it right there or it's supposed to, but if someone is rationally thinking through that, they're like, yeah, but we still see these same problematic things. Maybe it's not a technical legal definition of pyramid scheme, but there's still things that are going on that are manipulative, that are making people go into debt, that are preying upon pain points and weaknesses and exploiting people. Another thought terminating cliche that is not necessarily, this isn't bad at all. There is some truth to this. You've got to spend money to make money. And I used to say that too, from a business standpoint, yes, do you typically need to make investments with your own money for advertising, for supplies, for yes, typically when you're starting a business, of course. And I used to say the same thing coming from my background, knowing online marketing, I'm like, yep, I need to build these funnels and ads and this and that and spend money to make money. But when you're speaking to someone, the 90% who are joining social selling saying you've got to spend money to make money, that's not necessarily true or helpful for most people. A legitimate business isn't going to just spend money. Like, what does that mean? They're going to be doing their due diligence. They're researching like what's their return on investment. That's not what's happening when we're hearing you got to spend money to make money in these industries. Typically, again, are there exceptions? Yes, and always. So if I were to go back, and this wasn't my experience, because when I got into social selling initially, I knew the person I was signing up with was making good money because she was a course creator. It's so funny how it comes full circle, a course creator and blogger, which is what my desire was way back then. And now lo and behold, that's what I'm doing. I still do believe in selling affiliate products for sure. And there are some great affiliate products to sell within the industry. And I will never say that there's anything wrong with that. It's the recruiting practices and the structure of the MLM without looking at all of these questions and factoring in how your marketing is presented. And I'll get, I'll get to that because I've really been thinking about this a lot that piece alone. Like if I did ever build a team again, what would that look like? Like what would the parameters be? I would not be successful in it because it would be like, do you want to see my tax forms from last year? Like, let me do your due diligence for you. Let me show you the income disclosure statements. Do you understand that 1% reached the top? That means that 99% of people are not really doing that well. Yes, there are some people that do okay for a while, but this is what it takes like all of the things that's just not sexy or appealing. And so therefore I just, I'm not going to team build again. That's not something that I'm going to do in that way, in the way of making what I now perceive to be like false hope, not false promises. So that's another thought terminating cliche. Fake it until you make it. So this is not necessarily a thought terminating cliche but kind of just go out there and create these lifestyle posts until you start being successful. But until then, like 
low-key make it look like you are successful. Like, oh, yay, I'm so glad that I can stay home. Screw nine to five, that's dumb. I can stay home and make money. It's like, well, but are you, like, what are all the factors there? The other one is like, hey, see, this is difficult because this is almost like what I would envision needing to say as a disclaimer, but then it also ends up being a thought-stopping cliche. Like this opportunity is for motivated people only. Like you have to really work hard to make money. You can't just join and start making money. You really have to work hard. But can you guess what the problem is with that one? There are plenty of people who work hard in these industries, but they don't see success. That happens all the time. Someone can work really hard and not see success. And then what are they left thinking about themselves and their capabilities and what they're meant to do? They're like, it's me. Like, what's wrong with me? Like, I don't want to show up because every time I'm failing at this, that particular structure, especially now, this is not the dinosaur old days, 20 years ago, 10 years ago, even of building a business in social selling. It takes more than hard work to succeed in a plan like that. If you do not have influence, either your own in your own niche or industry or in that industry, you're not going to hit the top. Even if you had, I've seen it, even if you have someone who is influential or who has been successful in that industry and they build under you, sustaining that without influence is also hard in most compensation plans. And if it's not hard for you, it sure is for the people, most people that you're bringing on board. And so that for me, was one of those like, whew, I can't unsee that. I literally can't unsee that. No matter how good the opportunity is, if someone wants to team build and they don't have influence, or even if they want to, you know, make great sales, if they're not focused on building their brand, and yes, I do believe in today's age, if you want to create success that you don't already have, you need to have a brand, you need to have influence, you need to have marketing skills. It's not just as easy as doing the do and checking off boxes on a DMO or messaging people. And I know there are people, and this is the problem, we see gurus, you know, guru uplines, guru trainers, and people are listening to every word that they say without thinking about and applying their own background and experience level to what they're being asked to do or told would work and really analyzing that like, okay, what is what is that person's motivation for saying those things? Like, how can they back this up? When did they create success? All of these things, all of these questions that need to be asked before making a decision and especially before feeling bad about yourself for not recreating that same thing. It's just a numbers game. There's another thought terminating cliche, like just keep going. The only way you can fail is if you quit. It's a numbers game. And then when you're negative, you've got stinking thinking. Just don't have that stinking thinking. Like do the do. There's just so many and it doesn't consider so many different factors. And I do think, I know it makes people feel like failures. There are people who are very capable, very talented, very smart, very hardworking, who don't succeed in network marketing, social selling, even coaching. It does take hard work, but it doesn't just take hard work. Enough of the thought terminating cliches. One other feature of cults is exclusive, shall we say, jargon or exclusive lingo. It's funny because I got really deep in the life with CrossFit about, it was, it's now been about 12 years ago, maybe even longer, 12, 13 years ago, I got really involved. And now looking back, I'm like, oh my gosh, was that a cult? It's all I wanted to talk about. 
I was so like in it for the, there was even a mascot. <laughs> Talk about like doing things that you're like, why did I like, under no other circumstances would I do that. It was a badge of honor if you puked in a workout. There's a little mascot called Pukey. I don't know if anyone else is involved in CrossFit, but thinking back now, I'm like, what? Like a little mascot where it's like, if you puke during your workout, you just, you pushed yourself as hard as you could. And that's good. All of these things that are signs that you're pushing your body way too hard for most people. But that was like the goal. Injury was like, yes, you you worked hard. Anyway, lots of lingo and jargon. I'm sure you can think about lingo and jargon within could even be your team. I mean, again, some of these things are good to a point, but things that get you roped in and feeling a part of something, it's not bad. But again, like, where's the line? One of the other things that comes up oftentimes, and I was speaking with a one-on-one -on -one client of mine about this very thing, is this we're the best mentality. When you're in a cult or many like high control organizations, really any organization, that we're the best one mentality is so strong. Like there's nothing else like this company, this team, this product, even competing product lines. Like really like this mentality of like convincing one another across companies of who is the best versus just choosing what you feel comfortable with and who you want to be partnered up with and just leaving it at that like we don't have to have this big convince fest that we're the best and I'm saying this because I've totally done this I've totally been judgmental and like oh my my company I partner with is like superior to everyone why do we need to do that it's kind of culty another feature of cults and this is not even just a feature of cults this is something that can happen in a lot of realms but toxic productivity. And I really experienced toxic productivity because if you're like me and you give 110% to anything you do until you are successful, like the only way, oh, here's another one. The only way that you can fail is if you quit. Well, but like then that breeds toxic positive productivity. That's an, toxic positivity is another thing. I'm not even going to talk about that, that on this episode. That could be its whole other thing. Toxic productivity is defined as overworking at the expense of other facets of your life. A mindset that manifests as the need to constantly do. You may feel that you can't rest or take any downtime. I 100% experienced this and it was not something that I could even see at the time or understand what was going on, but I didn't want to fail. And I thought that the only way to not fail was to be continuously working. And I did that in social selling for a good, this was before I switched from that initial company. And that was, that was when it was really bad, but I only did that for about 10 months. And then I made a switch and I still had that lingering toxic productivity. And it was not until about, it's been about two and a half years now, um, post divorce, not until then did I realize that it's not necessarily working all the time. And I tend to work in order to numb as well. That's a numbing technique is immersing yourself in work so that you don't have to face reality, same as doing any other type of addictive behavior. And for me personally, that was a large part of it. But breaking that toxic productivity 
and realizing that, oh my goodness, the, you know, the year that I was working the hardest and just grinding, I never felt okay taking any downtime. I would dry my hair and feel guilty that I wasn't in messenger. It was that bad. That year, like the most I made in that grinding toxic productivity style was $49,000, which is great. That's awesome. That was like working with a hand tied behind my back. I'm proud of that. But within a, well, 13 months, within 13 months of launching my own business and creating my own offers, 13 months later, I had a $49,000 month and I was not working nearly as much or as grind vibey as I was at that time. And so it's not necessarily how much you're working and doing. It's what you're doing. I'm the same person. I have the same work ethic. I applied that to something else and it's a whole different, whole different ball game, life-changing ball game. And that's why I teach women now to create their own offers, to have multiple streams of revenue. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. Maybe for you, it's not going to be coaching. Maybe for you, it's not going to be group programs. Maybe it's going to be a book. Maybe it's going to be in-person retreats. I don't know what it is, but there are infinite numbers of ways you can create your own offers and sell your own offers that are going to be impactful for your community, but that are also going to give you the time freedom and the bandwidth to make an impact in your four walls, in your community, around you with that time that your business affords you. That is my ripple effect that I hope that I can have. And when I say impact and income, that's the impact piece of it. It's twofold. Toxic productivity. To achieve what nobody else has, you have to do what nobody else does. And that's typically applied in social selling as working really freaking hard and grinding. And there's nothing wrong with seasons of hustle, not killing yourself hustle, but working hard. You have to work hard to be successful. I work hard now, but there's a difference. And it's the vibe of feeling guilty for resting and not understanding that the better you feel, the more money you make when you're a personal brand. Because if you're showing up haggard and you're just, you're not inspired, that's not attractive. No one wants to learn from that person or hire you as a coach or work with you. That's just not a thing that is attractive at all. The four year plan. I read this book when I was first starting in social selling about the four year plan. And it's basically a formula to work your ass off for four years. And then you're like allegedly not going to have to do something. I'm sorry. Is this 1996? Maybe that would work then. I do not see that working now for most people, unless that four year plan, I saw nothing in that book about building your influence, building your brand, building out systems that you need to streamline things and maintain your sanity when you do start blowing up. Like that's not there. Anyway, crowd manipulation. Oh, I'm nervous to talk about this. Crowd manipulation is the intentional or unwitting use. So again, sometimes people just do these things and they're like, I didn't know I was doing that. Intentional or unwitting use of techniques based on the principles of crowd psychology to engage control or influence the desires of a crowd in order to direct its behavior toward a specific action. <clears throat> so in social selling, there are these typically at least once and once a year annual events. There's usually more, sometimes there's many, but they're timed around launches 
And again, this makes sense. You want to get people pumped up about the launches, but there is so much hype around getting people to the events at all costs. Like if there's one thing you do as a leader, get your team to the events, get their butts in the seat. You must go to the events and then you go to the events and I've been to many and I've spoken to many people who I've gone to these events with as well as people, women from multiple companies across the industry. And there's so much hype and fervor that you feel. It's almost like a religious experience. And some companies even tie in the faith element, almost like the prosperity gospel element, favor, all of these things that just get you, get you in the feels and the heart and the soul. And then you go back and maybe you keep that excitement, but it only lasts maybe until the next event or maybe not that long. And there's this up and down and it feels a little bit emotionally manipulative and we subject ourselves to it. But again, that's one of those questions. What am I not looking at? What am I pretending that I don't see or know that I actually know? And for me, I don't know the motivations of people putting on those events. Like I assume positive intent, but me promoting people to go to events where I know they're going to get hyped up and feel like, yes, I can do this. I can do anything that I want and they get pumped up by these motivational speakers and then they go back and they're set up for failure unless they are building a brand and influence and all of these things that are required now to be successful. It's such an up and down emotional roller coaster and I don't like that. And I know there are people and I'm if you're listening to this and you were on my team and you're like, oh my God, what happened? This, this is what happened. I can't do raw, raw team meetings knowing that part of the purpose of that, it feels manipulative to me. It feels like once I understood this, I can't do it. If everyone on the team was making good money that wanted to make good money and they, and it wasn't, they, the women I worked with were all hard workers. Like everyone was a hard worker. It wasn't like someone was not trying or something like that, but it's not meant, not everyone's going to be successful at it. Not everyone's going to be su- successful at anything, but to feel like as a leader who's making money off of the success of other people, like there's just this fine line of feeling unethical and I'm not here for it. And I don't apologize for that. And I also don't apologize for not being able to articulate that and not fully understanding. One thing that I know about me though, is if I feel internally uncomfortable, and I hope this for everyone to get to the point where you know yourself so well, and you know that intuitive feeling, if something feels off peace, I'm out. And I've done this in really big way. I've not done this at all in most of life. And then once I did it in a very big way, I can never turn back because I'm so in tuned with what feels right and what feels in alignment and what does not. And that's why you hear me talk about alignment so much. It matters. It matters because we end up doing things that we're not meant to do. These behaviors, these unwitting things when we're in relationships, organizations, jobs, things that are not in alignment, then we look back and we have regret and we can always learn from things. But the sooner that you can get into and maintain alignment in all areas of your life, the more effective you're going to be at doing whatever it is that God has for you to do in this life here on earth, right? And I so strongly believe that. And it just feels better. Life just feels better. And I'm not perfect at this. Um, no, I'm like laughing because I'm thinking about being on the verge of like a menti bee earlier today over something that now I'm like, oh boy. But again, the faster you can 
work through getting back into alignment, the better, the healthier. Okay, I feel like I've been yapping on for way too long. I'm gonna stop there. I could go on and there's a lot here, but I hope that those topics get your wheels turning if they did get your wheels turning and this is something that you would want to share either in your stories or if you're not comfortable sharing in your stories, I get it, sharing it with your team or sideline or yeah, just someone that you think that could use the perspective or knowing that someone might share their perspective because trust me when I say you're not alone if you do. I feel confident to speak about this because of all of the conversations that I have had and have been witness to. So please do share this episode. Do not feel like just because you have not been successful at one certain way of making money online that you should give up and throw in the towel. You need to find a way that in alignment with you, your skill set, your talents, your experiences, the things that motivate you to want to get up in the morning and build a business. Like social selling is not that for everyone. It might be for you, but it might not. And I don't want anyone to feel like they're a failure because of a system and a structure that kind of lends itself to some kind of cultish behaviors and things that can make you get a little uh, confused. I hope this was informative or if nothing else, some food for thought, a little bit outside of the norm. If the discussion continues, maybe we'll chat about it more. But until next week, cheers to you creating the impact that only you can in the world, both online and in your real life. Talk to you soon. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. My goal is to help as many women in business online as possible to build strong, powerful, aligned, and profitable personal brands. The best way to show you appreciate this content is to screenshot and share on your social media or share with your team. Actually, even better would be to also leave a review for the podcast on whichever platform you're listening on. If you are looking for any additional support, you can always reach me via email at hello at elevatedwithashley.com. You can DM me on Instagram at Ashley R. Latimer or join us in the free Elevate Academy for brand building, maverick marketers, and mom entrepreneurs Facebook community. Can't wait to chat with you next week.